I reckon go from the top there. Do you reckon? Yeah. Welcome to the Tell Me About podcast. This season is all about Midlands 103 and the inner workings of the radio station and who some of the people are behind the voices and in the background. Today it's our final episode and in the studio I have two men to talk all about our sports coverage on Midlands 103. We have sports editor David Hollywood and the inside lines Will O'Callaghan. Welcome both. Hey, Sarah. I'm slightly worried that David has got a notebook with a pen, uh, while I have come with absolutely no preparation whatsoever, aside from a coffee cup. Um, so I get the feeling David's probably got more insights than I have over the next while. I was, I was admiring your coffee cup there, uh, so we're both as insecure as each other on this one. I think. Mm, it's, not, it's not my coffee cup. Um, this is going to make for wonderful podcast radio, but I picked out the most attractive cup that I could find in the canteen when I came in on the occasion of Midlands 103's 30th birthday. This isn't going out live, but... Oh, sorry, 33rd birthday, I should say. This is, yeah, 1990. I think that's actually Adam C's cup. Really? I think it might be. He always has the nicest cups. Adam C is about to leave for Pastures New, and I hope he leaves the cup behind. Yeah. <laughs> his cup can become my cup. And maybe well, he goes to Austria with them, I don't know. He's only leaving the days, not the nights. He'll still be on the, the VIP. Um, so, thank you very much for both coming to join us. If you can both just tell me a little bit about how you got into the jobs you do here and uh, why you do it, really. Um David, if we come to you first. Yeah, I have not a linear background or journey towards uh, working in radio. I did about a decade's work in retail uh, before I realised that uh, I should change gears and move on. I went back to education in my mid-twenties and studied uh, creative media and journalism. Um, From that point onwards, I realised I actually loved radio. It was a medium that kind of snuck up on me in my mid-twenties and it's, uh, it's something I've been enjoying uh, more than I could have ever hoped for ever since, I suppose. And yeah, I've I've worked in uh, local radio over the course of uh, many years, over weekends, while trying to make ends meet during the week. And this radio station, uh, through uh, Will Faulkner and Sinead Hubble, gave me the opportunity to work full-time in the industry. And I suppose, professionally, I've never been happier in that respect. So tell us a little bit about your role here. Um. Essentially, it's running the sports desk through the week. Uh, if there's breaking stories, we need to go through the rev- relevant stakeholders, um, get uh, our lines of perspective in order and get the coverage out for people in the Midlands, Lee Shoffley and Westmeath, uh, as soon as is practically possible, obviously, whilst always being accurate. Aside and alongside that, um, there's there's a lot of kind of forecasting and planning ahead to make sure that we're well covered off for games and that would uh, bring me towards working with Will very directly um, as he has very much uh, got his eye across the weekend programming. The two of us will be in uh, dialogue often, figuring out where commentators are going and uh, what's being sponsored and uh, what games are coming up and, and how to editorially prioritise them. So, well, that brings you to um, the inside line. So tell us a little bit about that show and how that all came about. Yeah, I guess my story in radio is probably the complete opposite to David's in that the first job that I ever had in radio was here in Midlands 103. So I mentioned earlier about the 33 years, I think it's 21 years ago when I first uh, darkened the door of this place back when we were in the middle of town as opposed to being in the Access Business Park in Tullamore. But uh, Midlands 103 would always been my local radio station and... The way I got in was I came in here and work experience when I was in transition year in that year in 2002. 
and came in initially to shadow the sports and news department. It turned out they ended up shadowing sport more so than news. Sport would have probably been a passion within my life, but news would have probably been more of an interest at the time. Um, but just as it worked out, the sports editor had changed on the week that I came in on work experience. Ended up coming back for that summer after he thought it was useful to have around the building for the couple of weeks that I was here. And then it turned out that the Saturdays needed a presenter. And luckily, despite my youthful age at the time, my voice had already broken and I was easily able to pretend that I was much older than I was when I was going on air and I ended up presenting the match coverage and a one hour sports magazine style show that we had on a Saturday evening at the time back in 2002 so I ended up presenting that for a couple of years until I did my leaving cert and I kind of stepped away during the leaving cert period but then ended up coming back ended up doing a lot more around the Sunday programme here which was I think we were just calling it uh, Sunday Sport and eventually became uh, the sports on around about that time during a rebranding and uh, worked kind of behind the scenes on that show as a contributor on that show while I was in college and ended up taking over that show while it was still called The Sports Zone at the time in I think late 2007 or early 2008 it was around four years after I'd started here had been doing the Saturdays for quite a while but then moved on to doing the Sundays and in the various different incarnations of the programme which have always been a four hour kind of live sport run style programme I've been presenting the show since definitely late 2007 maybe early 2008 I'm not sure of the exact date on that uh, through to now in 2023 and even when I left the company full time back in late 2016 early 2017 I still continued I couldn't quite get pulled away Sarah from the idea <laughs> of still being here on the Sundays uh, so I've continued to do the Sundays since and yeah, I guess it's always been a bit of a passion project for me just to continue the relationships that I would have built up over, you know, the best part of 20 years with quite a few of the teams. And, you know, certain things make people feel old. The one thing that really makes me feel old is almost all of the players who were there at the time that I started covering the various different sports around the Midlands are now retiring at this stage. Um, there's a few left out there, but Ross Munley and Niall McNamee, particularly this year, and Derek McNicholas when he stepped away, I was like, they're some of the real OGs who were there as effectively teenagers at the time that I started here it's a bit like football manager when some of the players that you signed in the game back in 2007 or 2008 start to retire in real life you start to realise hold on maybe I'm starting to get a little bit old here along the way Um, but that's generally my relationship with here I was sports editor here for eight and a bit years and even after I left I couldn't really leave it would seem yeah we never quite let go (laughs) no Um, the show itself it's a four-hour sports program. Generally, for the best part, I think it's uh, it's driven by live sport agenda. I would say all bar about 10 weeks of the year because of just the nature of the way the things wrap around. That Obviously, you're in an area which is massively Gaelic Games driven, I think, as well. There's a huge interest in Gaelic Games, particularly Leash Offley, Westmead, and in the sister sports of ladies football and camogie. And we've been blessed at a time when we haven't maybe been all that successful with still those little nuggets of success that make it all the more enjoyable uh, with things like the Offley Under-20s winning in All-Ireland a couple of years ago, the Offley Miners getting to an All-Ireland final, Leash um, and Westmead both winning uh, ladies football and camogie All-Irelands during my time at the station as well. And just when I arrived, it was just off the back of Leash and Westmead me being tremendously successful at All-Ireland level at underage, which then transferred to very rare Leinster titles for both Westmead and Leash in my first couple of years at the station. We've had Shane Lowry win a major championship while I was here. We've had athletes go to the Olympics and to the Winter Olympics. So in an area, you know, where maybe you're not in, let's say, the most successful area, at the same time, those little bits of success have been tremendous to cover over the years. It's been been a real uh, love project for me. 
Oh, I, it's so nice. And also, it's so good to hear about female sport and how big that's getting now, especially with the rugby. Mm. And yeah, I mean... Coming from the UK, I'm a big Roses fan. Uh, always loved female rugby. And it's good to see that. And then Camogie here and, and everything else as well. It's always good. Um, so, David, I'm going to start over with you now with uh, a quick question. Mm. What do you, why do you think it's so important for us to stay up to date with the local and national sports? Um, this is the kind of question I always actually dreamt of getting asked and no one has literally ever asked me that question so uh, you'll uh, forgive me if I get a bit excited about it um, I think it's important because those are the stories from your community you know um, sport is a medium or a venue or uh, a representation of us and we can uh, place so many things out that we struggle to articulate in normal day life so you know be it through conflict or otherwise, um, competing on a sporting pitch uh, can can be a really kind of healthy outlet in that respect. And from a local perspective, we cover Leishoffley and Westmeath to be able to tell the stories and the uh, of the achievements and the stuff that have become legends in the future, but to be there live as it stands. And you know, Will ran us through some of the great highlights that he's experienced in the station, and he's such a brilliant uh, pillar and resource to have in the sports department because. He's got that um, that background and experience that I can fall back on. Um, and from a national perspective, you see with the Irish rugby team, it gives everyone just an extra quarter inch in their step the next day. And to be in a position where you can report on that and tell those stories, I think, and I see it as a complete and utter privilege. Yeah. It is. I think working in any radio station and find yourself on air is, is a huge privilege. Um so, Will, you do cover a lot of GAA games. What is your favourite thing? I know you've touched upon it, but what is your favourite thing about GAA and reporting on it? Um, I, I have a very mixed relationship with GAA. I cover it a lot and get frustrated by it in probably equal measure. Um, it's an organisation that just has so many bizarre quirks, uh, which makes it, which actually does make it enjoyable because obviously the games are the the key to it. As David says, they're the stories that you want to tell, and these are the narratives that really matter. And what people remember is what happens to their team on the pitch and uh, sharing in those collective moments. I think back about Leash beating Dublin in an All Ireland Primary quarter final when genuinely I felt like our commentary team were on the cusp of crying. I think there may well have even been a few tears there along the way in the day because Leash had experienced so much pain in the. Day decade before that I was sitting in this very studio the day that they shipped 10 goals against Cork and to see that transformation and some of the big results that Leash Hurling had got after being at such a low ebb even the day they beat Offaly in the Leinster Championship but particularly uh, that sunny day in Port Leash when they overcame Dublin and um, they're the type of moments that you really live for what happens on the pitch and then off the pitch you just get these bizarre moments I remember when I first started uh, Leash got fined I think in my first year because two players had their socks down when they were walking around the pitch ahead of a Leinster final <laughs> and we were ringing the GA president to get comment on the fact that there's this ludicrous thing that a team who have been starved for success at this level get to go to a Leinster final they're walking around the pitch and some pen pusher somebody has spotted that two players didn't have their socks entirely up uh, during the parade before the game and Leash I think ended up getting a fine around it so they're the kind of bizarre parts about the GA that 
kind of take away sometimes from uh, the excitement that we see on the pitch but the thing I actually really like about GA as well and it comes back to David's point about the storytelling is that there's an intimate relationship with these teams that you pick up over the years and I mentioned how difficult it was you know when you're working six days a week you can easily go you know what the Sundays I could easily just get rid of them are the relationships that you build particularly with the players I try not to become uh, too attached to too many administrators because at some point you may well have to criticise them or run a story on them and you don't want it to be buddies of yours I think there should always be a professional relationship there similarly with managers generally ah, I'll have a kind of a maybe a chat on WhatsApp kind of relationship with a manager about various things maybe with injuries but I try not to become uh, too socially attached to them because again they're going to leave at some point it's the transient nature of it well a player in all likelihood will be there for quite some time and I enjoy those kind of friendships that you build up over the years uh, getting a chance to tell the stories about players uh, particularly players in this region who give tremendous sacrifices to play for their county because the vast majority I think the poll that the GPA did a few years ago uh, for Lee Shoffley and Westmeath was somewhere around the 80% mark are living outside of the area so are travelling generally long distances usually from the cities back uh, to train three or four days a week and then to play and what it means to them to still have that pride within their county or within their parish to play for their team that means a tremendous amount to me it's about trying to get those stories out there because sometimes definitely at a national level that has become sanitised and for the teams who were remarkably successful there is this belief among management do not speak to the media do not give them a single kernel to use against you at any point because if you say something it's going to be up on another dressing room wall somewhere else our teams maybe not being all that successful means that they're not quite as uh, likely to be robotic in their responses so they're likely to give you that little bit more uh, which you won't get elsewhere and kind of I love those conversations that we're able to have and you mentioned about the women's sport like we've had loads of really really brave women in this area too like I was just last week uh, talking to Jeanette Fury who was playing for the Ireland rugby team and went totally against the IRFU when the Irish Rugby Union wouldn't pay for their travel when they went to play a Six Nations match in France. And she had to write a letter to the Irish Times complaining about it to try and get just basic expenses reinstated for a team who were trying to win a championship. And she could easily have become a pariah and ended up being kicked out of the squad at that stage. But she felt that she had to speak up uh, for the people who were around her. And I remember us covering that story at the time. And it's just... They're the kind of moments that really stick out, quite aside from the mundane, which may well be results from last night or putting a piece up on the website to, I don't know, fulfill a certain amount of clicks. It's actually when you get to tell a real and genuine story or get to the heart of a story sometimes. Um, I remember the Offaly Hurling Review a few years ago where there was a report that was put in at a time that Offaly had fallen to quite a low ebb. It got down to the third tier in the Hurling Championship. We're struggling in the league as well. And there were people within the county who had come together at effectively their own time to put together recommendations for change and the county board had not acted upon them and we got a chance to actually dig into it a little bit and it ended up coming very much to the fore and eventually a settlement was agreed which allowed that plan to move forward. So sometimes you can actually be an agent for change as as more so than just reporting third hand on things happening as well. Yeah, and it's those big stories as well, especially ones where it's really quite local Yeah, and you get to tell people about people that they may not know but that are probably just down the street as well yeah chances are they don't know them that's the thing I mean they see okay you'll know someone who's a neighbour of yours and again this is the fun of covering local sport is that people will know them oh do you know such and such who oh are they going out with such and such oh I know them I went to school with that person and then maybe that might open up the the corridors of interest for them but for the best part and particularly in camogie and in hurling especially they wear helmets generally they're not all that well known they're probably known by their number on a pitch or their exploits of putting the ball over the crossbar or in any sport it's generally you know them by their vest or by their jersey or whatever else 
But then when they get a chance to talk, like, I mean, uh, there's so many different ones. Like, I'm thinking of um, Pauline Curdy going to the Olympics in Beijing in 2008. She's over 40 years of age. Just before the Olympics were due to take place, she's on a boat on a family holiday in the Canaries, then gets a call to say that her B time is going to be enough to get her to go to the Olympic Games. Now, she was training away, but not training away to go to an Olympics. And then over the age of 40, she goes to Beijing. And this wonderful picture is captured there where Pauline gets over the finishing line and just kisses the track because her dream was always to go to the Olympic Games. Yeah. Nobody remembers where she finished in the race whatsoever, but everyone remembers this this moment that this, you know, mother who right up until a few weeks before the Olympic Games didn't think that she was going gets to go to the Olympics and gets that moment. Um, I remember John John Evan. God, so many stories come to mind when you think about this. John John Evan, we did an outside broadcast. And again, the main reason I remember this, we're sitting in, in here when it happened. So 2012, John John Evan got to the final of the Olympic Games, a bit like Katie Taylor. We were hoping it was going to be two gold medals. Uh, John Joe was uh, reigning European champion going in. And he'd win the World Championship the year afterwards before he got professional. But we did an outside broadcast where we put the speakers up where there was the big screen of John Joe's fight in the final now he would lose to Luke Campbell in the final but all the excitement was about the fact that everyone in Mullingar came together to see if John John Evan could bring a gold medal back to their town I remember just being here and there were just shivers at the moment that we played a music package with a bit of commentary around John John Evan um, before the fight actually got underway and sitting here was a very young Gráinne Walsh who was doing a bit of analysis for us with Dima Dimitruk who's now gone to coach in India in recent weeks but had been running a boxing gym in Tullamore and Ronnie Walsh had taken up boxing very, very recently before that. She was playing soccer for Shamrock Rovers before that. Met Katie Taylor not long before the Olympic Games in the boxing gym at Spartacus in Tullamore. And that was her inspiration to not just go and box for fitness, but to go and box competitively. Now, at this point, she's an Olympic hopeful for the Games coming up in Paris next year. She's just after beating the world uh, champion Amy Broadhurst a few weeks ago to win the national title. So that's incredible when you think that she was here watching John John Evans fight and giving us analysis on it in her, I think, her late teens at that point. And now potentially she could be going to an Olympic Games next year. And to be able to track those stories from the very start through to the finish. Uh, Shane Lowry is another one. Like I remember when Shane Lowry won the Irish Open. Won it as an amateur, so he didn't get a penny for winning it. But he got endorsements because he had just gone professional the week afterwards. And I text Shane and I was just like, look, I know it's probably been an absolute whirlwind week and absolutely crazy, but do you want to pop in and have a chat? And Shane came in here with his brother, Alan. And literally, I think at that point, the first check that Shane Larry got, he was telling me, I think about a day before he came into the studio, because he was just in doing a bit of gym work and popped in here in the way. And I brought his brother for the drive as well. Was he had bought a car for his parents because of everything they had done for him along the way. That like his dad had taken on extra work when Shane was 13 or 14 just to ensure that he had the golf clubs to be able to pursue his career. There's something quite magic about that. That yes. he would go on and win his home open. We know everything Shane has done since winning WGC events, uh, winning the Open Championship at Royal Port Rush. But to be able to share those kind of early stages of the story that you can actually go back and say, you know what? A very, very young Shane Larry was coming in here. No idea how his career was going to pan out. And we were having chats and like even at that point now Shane is obviously a much bigger star now but in his early stages in the European tour we used to just kind of text back and forth and Shane would just take a call after his fourth round and come on the show that type of access isn't available at a national level compared to what you can get locally where someone knows that they're speaking to their local community yeah and that's why of course it's just so important so what are if you had one sport what is your favourite sport to watch Dave it's a brutal question, Sarah. Um, David, sorry. No, no. <laughs> Let me ask that again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. I, 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 I have an answer okay. as well. I just would like to say every sport. Um, 
I, I, I suppose my grounding and background in sports coverage was predominantly started with uh, League, of, League of Ireland soccer and uh, domestic football, generally speaking. And for the same reason as Will kind of explained about this thrill of, of local coverage and getting the chance to observe people along a path, as it were, um, and then to be able to reflect on their successes afterwards and know that you were in some way a part of that or a conduit for it. Um, I love League of Ireland football for the fact it's so visceral, it's so much more accessible compared to the televised product that we see um, on Sky Sports and and, and the like. Um, and that I actually would apply to all the sports that I enjoy covering, like being there at the event, um, meeting the people involved, not specifically in the team, but the background people uh, who might volunteer to be part of that team, who literally give up their time to support young people. That's where sport gets a little bit magical from my perspective. Like um, just before we came in here, I got a phone call from uh, someone involved in wheelchair wheelchair hurling who's they, they, they want to um, get coverage uh, about what they're doing and uh, they see this station as actually an ally in that because we've done some coverage beforehand. And that's both a sense, you get a sense of responsibility when, when you know, that, that kind of sense of, okay, you can't mess this up, it's important, you get to get the balance right, um, because obviously there's things that on, on, in an editorial perspective have a certain weighting of importance, and then you have to look broader than that and, and say, yes, but what is actually the right thing to do, globally speaking, uh, for the welfare both of the sport and the station? And uh, if you're in that zone work-wise, if you're thinking on those terms work-wise, uh, then as I say, it's a good place to be. But soccer, I suppose, uh, is first and foremost uh, in both my experience and my passion. Uh, and as Will said, Gaelic Games offers no end of bespoke idiosyncratic entertainment because it is a very unique uh, thing to observe and, and be a part of. And it is, um, I think, the national sport, ultimately, and you see so many manifestations of the positive side of our nationalism in Gaelic games. Uh, so, yeah, the ball sports are great. Yeah. What about you? What would if say, for example, it was a Sunday afternoon? You had a free Sunday afternoon, and the, all the sports were playing on all the channels. Which <laughs> sounds, sport, sounds like quite the day, sir? I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which channel of which sport would you go? Right, that's what I want to watch. Let's see. Um, possibly test cricket in the ashes maybe if I could pick anything um, Super Bowl probably if I was to go in that direction mm. as well like look you're asking me to pick something that's yeah. very different right so you're asking me to pick between <laughs> if it's my favourite sport right now hurling 100% I pick hurling over everything just as an overall sport but when it comes to say like one off occasions that I would sit down and enjoy as a sports fan it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but I would literally enjoy sitting down, watching a test match for four to five hours and sit down and relax. Maybe even put test match special on the background it's on the radio. Stuff. It is. It, like, yeah. it really is. I mean, it's much more about uh, probably the enjoyment of the conversations that happen, much more so than what's actually happening. And I would put the cricket on with the TV commentary turned down and enjoy it. But this is the great thing because, you know, as everyone's probably learned about me in the last 21 years, I hate all of your teams. Uh, so generally I'm picking, you know, when we do our broadcast plan, the reason that this game is getting a minute and a half more than the other game is that I hate your team. It has nothing to do with the teams who are actually playing. Um, this is how I come up with editorial decisions, just in case anyone wants to get a real feeling behind the uh, the curtain here. It's 
Just sheer hate. It has nothing to do with equality in any way. Um, I'm just against your team. So anytime that you've texted in or, you know, I receive a tweet saying, how come you're doing this game, not doing this game, whatever else, it has nothing to do with practical considerations, the importance of the games. I definitely do not sit here during the entire uh, show and think, you know, geez, we better go back to that game because actually if we have to balance that off, that game's drifting a little bit. Should I go here? No, no, no. It's entirely driven by me trying to annoy you at home. <laughs> that's actually exactly how it works. So hateful. Yeah, that, that's it, David. I mean, that's, that's what I live for. Um, it's, it's the power of that. that that's, it's not the enjoyment of sport. No. Forget everything that's been said in the last 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, generally, it's just I sit at home and I want to ruin your day. That is my plan every Sunday. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the funny part. I mean, I think you're probably doing your job reasonably okay that for a long time I used to kind of I wouldn't say suppress or hide but I generally tried to stay remarkably objective and not even give a huge amount about away about where I was from and for a long time there's actually a few other journalists I would talk to who wouldn't have known and they were like I actually don't know which of the three counties you're from and I always t- took that as a bit of a badge of honour then afterwards the radio changed and it was like we want to know a little bit more about the presenters so I had no problem just like letting the guard down and look here's me here's what I think here's what I feel here's what I'm passionate about but generally when I started off I think a lot of people would have had no idea where I was from I think generally when you are getting abuse and it happens about why X, Y, or Z is not being covered, like David was saying, and you're trying to balance so many different things. If you're getting it equally from most counties, generally you're doing a pretty good job. It's a bit like being a referee. You're not noticed, happy days, if there's not a single text. But if you get some and people are saying, you're not covering our team, or how come you're not doing this? And generally they're coming from all angles. You will go, well, you know what, I'm kind of equally annoying everybody. It's a very, very difficult thing to get the balance right here, Sarah. And I'd say that to David (laughs) or anyone else who's come in here, is that... You will try your best, and sometimes you will go home drained from mm. trying to be as fair as you possibly can. And Three counties, and they're both dual code counties in a major way. And that's just one sport. And that is just one sport of it. Yeah, and then you add in other items along the way, and like I don't know, like I, I remember Portage Panthers got to an All Ireland uh, basketball final, national cup final, I should say, with their women's team, and we decided to broadcast that because our thought was we've got a team in a national final, potentially they can make a bit of history here. They've had a great year in the league as well. And we got pelters for not covering Gaelic matches that really didn't matter that day. Because people were tuning in expecting that their match was going to be on, even if it had been determined the week before what was going to happen in the league. And we put on the Women's National Cup final and people were just complaining. I remember one one year we decided to introduce just a little bit of horse racing, which came in, a few live commentaries on the Sunday, trying to mix it up a little bit, you know. And what are the opposition doing? This is what they do on Radio 1, so let's see if it works here on a smaller scale. And straight away it was like, get back to the game. Was just every single text that came in. So I, I'm like I'm eternally amused generally by the WhatsApps and by the texts. But one thing that you will learn eventually, and Facebook messages bad for it initially too, is that you get to a point where you take constructive criticism. I'm not dismissing any of this in any way, but generally you have to find a way of being able to channel that productively. Where you go, okay, that's a very reasonable point. It's well made. I would even have emailed back some people or messed people back and said, look, that's a very fair point. We've dropped the ball here, or we'll consider this in you know future coverage or whatever else. But then you just you, you block out the hate. Like you have to be able to just read it and kind of almost half laugh and go, you're wasting my time. You're wasting your time sending this in, and just move on. But that, that's, that's the way we make decisions. I do not envy David at all at the moment uh, having to make these type of editorial calls. I still have to make some of them at the weekends now, but it's very, very difficult when you've got a couple of minutes, a few hours a day in order to try and distill in a tremendous amount of news and do so in a fair way, but at the same time try and cover things that maybe are a little bit off the beaten track at the same time mm-hmm. and try and satisfy everybody. Because you, it's a very short period of time to try and capture the listener's attention as well. And if you play things that genuinely have very, very little interest, while well, you're keeping that person happy who's mad keen to get their story out there, at the same time there's a lot of stuff that you have to cover just in the general traction of life. 
But also you've got to remember that the people are messaging in aren't all the people that are listening. They're representative of about 0.00000001%. Exactly. So if you listen to those people all the time that, that just message in, you, you're listening to not even, you know, a, a centimetre of the yeah, amount of like, people. Like in my current full-time job, we get a tremendous amount of... YouTube commentary particularly yeah. and comments that will come in on message boards and stuff like that and I was like you would drive yourself crazy if you read and took every piece seriously yeah. it, would be, it would be horrific for your mental health because you would go Jesus this person is picking up on something that I entirely know what I said or um, they've decided to bash you based on a 30 second clip that's gone up on social media as opposed to an overall conversation you have to accept that that's just part and parcel of it mm-hmm. um, you need a thick skin to a certain extent but I think you also need to be introspective enough to be able to look at it and go okay well maybe there is a point or a kernel of a point in there but after a while if you decide to read all of it you would feel miserable about yourself and absolutely. don't do that David yeah. you know, it's a tricky balancing act and I think, absolutely um to take to take the interactions with the public in the right spirit is half the battle, and as Will said, there is kind of pre-guard yourself uh, in the sense that okay, the bad stuff that's going to come at you is a natural consequence of what you're doing in the first place, no matter what way you're doing it. So let that come at you and bounce off, and then try find the good information from people because it will come, and it can inform your your, your programming and and the work we do at this station to improve the output. And ultimately, even those who throw us throw pelters at us, uh, we're working for them as well to improve improve what we put out for them as well. So it's a it's not an easy task, but I I think the 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 more you get into it, the the more experience you get at it, the more rewarding it is, and and um, obviously the the more aptitude you develop for it. Yeah, and I suppose that comes with like social media and everything being so accessible, and people being able to message you quite easily as well to give their opinions. I used to like the letters, Sarah. They used, yeah. to, they used to come in about 20 years ago where somebody would take the time to write a letter out and send it in and generally it would be, you are an asshole, <laughs> but, in, but in a slightly longer way. So I'd be like, why did you make that joke about my team last Dear weekend? Sir. Yeah, yeah, but, it, but generally it would start off quite reasonably. Dear sir, I have been listening to your broadcast for quite some time. Yada, yada, yada. And you're like, you're kind of just scrolling through and you go, where is the point coming here? You're an asshole. Ah, very good. Um, but generally it was... Yeah, I, it's kind of weird. I kind of respect it to an extent that it took an awful lot more effort to put a stamp onto an envelope and send it to the radio station. Or we used to get faxes back in the day, which I always thought was kind of funny as well. Who has access to a fax machine? Um, but generally, we used to get a few of them in. Definitely in the later days of the fax machine, you get a few messages in. Like that postcard used to come in. Yeah. It's very different to when they can just go to your personal Twitter particularly and just at you and literally send you a message as the show is going on. Um, it's it's incre- like It's incredibly powerful in a way in that it can create great debates online but one of the biggest mistakes that anyone could ever make is that you decide that the public determine your programming 100% um, you know the public like Coldplay um, the public voted for the Nazis <laughs> you, <laughs> you can't totally trust the public uh, that's a joke by the way and a quote from Peep Show just in case anyone thinks that I'm uh, saying that the people of the Midlands advocate for Coldplay but um, no but like you can't allow them to do that like you have to Trust your own process and trust your own editorial control over a program and not, because otherwise it would be an absolute field day. People would yeah. get to do all sorts of mad stuff. And again, you have to be able to parse through the comments and the material that you get. And I'm sure this is probably exactly the same case for the Middle Today show and for the news team that, you know, you can't respond to everything. You can't cover everything. And you can't, not all views are created equally, I'm afraid, yeah. despite, you know, some people trying to claim that. And like, I think by all means, 
throw them out there if a comment is worthwhile put into the programme it can enhance your programme uh, but generally for the best part I would say most don't yeah. thank you to all the people who send in interesting messages well that's the thing it's it's nice to hear from people it doesn't matter what show you do it's always nice to hear from people and you do take some of the comments and you understand them but it's it's just take some of them with a pinch of salt is is it but I mean when everyone has opinion we're in that realm of world now where everyone has an opinion and they are quite happy to give it through social media as well um have you seen that has changed sport at all because you get a lot of people backseat managers things like that Mm. that think that they know more about sports do you think that changes sport yeah in two different ways so one before the social media explosion i would say of about what 10 13 years ago generally you could be a lot more considered and planned in how you run stories um so even we very, very sadly, Liam Kearns passed away, the Offaly manager, just a few days ago. It'll probably be maybe a week or so ago by the time that this uh, podcast airs. But it was genuinely, I think, a feeling out there with a lot of people. I was in contact with a lot of the editors in the various different papers. And there was this feeling that um, people felt they had to break the story online. Well, my take on it was, I don't want to break this story until I know 100% that all of his family know beforehand. Yeah. And you definitely wouldn't have felt that rush especially at a very sensitive time like that to get the story out there. But there were definitely people last night who were itching to try and be the first one to get the story up. It was only at the point that the Sunday game had received a short three-line statement to say, okay, we're going to just make an announcement about this on the Sunday game that everyone else decided then to run the story at that point. But there were definitely people who were itching to try and get the story out there first. And you think this would not have happened in the pre-social media day because people care about the clicks that they get online or people care about the interactions that they get on social media maybe more than what would be common decency really and then when it comes to your saying about like people deciding to send crap towards teams or maybe towards managers again a bit to the accessibility point it's totally changed it um, some managers would tell you I think Brian Cody always used to tell the story that he'd received probably four or five letters a year from supporters that may well be sent to him about team selections or annoy that Kilkenny had lost a game he didn't go on social media Brian Cody's not the type of guy who'd ever do that but there are quite a few of the new managers and players who are there. I can't think of many things that would be worse than if you get hammered on a pitch and you open your social media up. Now, of course, they always have the decision they could decide not to. But say if you open it up, you go onto your Instagram and there's DMs which you've received from people or you see that there's a narrative going on on Twitter which is having a go about an individual performance or maybe making accusations about the way the team are training or a lack of effort. I how tremendously frustrating that must be for the teams uh, to have to go through that type of um, crap really online uh, that wouldn't have been there before. The difficulty is it's so negative and as Sarah said and you said it's not representative of what the broad perspective no. is no. but it creates the broad tone you know because mm. it, it's, it's, it's the background noise uh, to a certain team be it through bad performances or whatever that wouldn't otherwise be there because most of the people are thinking give that person time give them space I like what they're doing here there or whatever it is but because of the way social media works it tends to create an unrepresentative narrative and then that increases pressure on uh, managers and players and then that kind of changes the way they interact with the media in the first place because they think they're answering to those critics and not the people who don't 
um, message in because nobody messages in to say I think you're doing okay you know yeah. I think that's not bad you don't hear that as that was a tremendously middling performance at the weekend how, how enjoyable it was I had to rush to let you know I thought that was mild you know yeah. um, thank so you for not ruining my weekend it would be, it'd be great if we could land you know I don't know there's no resolution to that yeah. that's what social media is and for, for all its good, it has some woes. For all its woes, um, hopefully it continues to have some good, I suppose. And editorially, I've always tried to be as fair as we possibly can because generally I've let the commentators over the years, people go, how do you get some of these pundits or how does it come about? Generally, I've allowed the commentators to pick people that they're comfortable to work with for yeah. the best part. I've never really turned around and said, you can't get person X, where is Ed? Or I may well say I have a reservation about person X because they may well be bringing a bias about whatever. I'm, I can sit down and have that conversation with a commentator, but generally I will allow them to make that decision. There have been a few times over the years where we've had analysts go over the top in their criticism, and sometimes you have to address that directly with them. Sometimes you just have to go for somebody else. But I think generally, if they're fair and honest in their criticism of the team, and if it's a criticism about the performance as opposed to um, bring something kind of personal or bringing a bias into it, that's when I think you have to step in. And I think local radio can have a... Uh, it's a huge force about shaping opinions among supporters as well because quite a few supporters I can tell you this right now don't go to games that comment on how their team are doing and they will say things like oh yeah yeah no I was I was watching the game on the radio You're like no you weren't you were you were listening to what was being channeled from the match through the commentary you didn't see it the pictures were not there in front of you uh, but you are now probably aping what has been said by the analyst on the radio so it, like it is a very powerful position yeah. that's why I think we have to be very very careful about it too I think by all means, call it straight. If teams aren't doing well or they're underachieving, call it out. But don't ever make it personal or don't yeah. ever make it with the fact that you didn't get a job or you weren't the captain in that year under that chairman or under that manager or whatever. If they're fair about it, by all means, shoot from the hip. And I think the main thing there as well is to always remember that a lot of these teams, especially the GAA, the boys are, and girls are, are young. Mm. They're, they're, they're young, so don't, you know, the, the personal side of things needs to stay out of it and obviously performance yeah we can talk about that but as soon as you get personal it's it, it's it's not great and just remember who you're talking about yeah I mean again that probably extends to oh god I, they probably sense you can speak to more for this David because you've got a more hybrid role like when it comes to politicians as well mm. like by all means I think you can criticise parties for their policies or maybe the record of a politician but I hate when I see personal attacks about yeah. politicians appearing online yeah they earn a good bit of money yeah they've got good expenses and in some cases we're talking about professional athletes and they've got a great lifestyle and whatever else but at the same time this is shit they don't want to read yeah absolutely I don't think um, we take stock of those aspects anywhere near like what we used to do like we there's a, a rush to judgment very quickly on on personal bases sometimes and like yeah it, you have to be very careful from a news perspective because the role I do is quite hybrid we co we cover news across the sports desk and sports across the news desk and in politics things are how would you put it there are a lot more um the feedback can be almost strictly negative because politicians can irritate constituents quite naturally. I've, yeah. I've uh, no objection to that concept. It's part of their job. Yeah, exactly that. Um, uh, but yeah, it's. I think again, it's something I enjoy doing. Actually, is trying to apply what we perceive to be a fair way of covering the sports, covering the participants, and I think there's a good payoff then when you have a story breaking where you have to rely on someone to take your call maybe first um, or you have to have a difficult conversation with them 
and they're willing to do it because you've given them the space and time and the fairness in the past uh, on these topics or issues or whatever it is. And um, as you said, they're like young people who are taking part in sport do not need or do not deserve any personal abuse yeah. or anything like that. And especially uh, the majority of the ones that we'd be interacting with, you know, the, the, some of them are funded, some of them are, are genuine amateurs um, who are achieving phenomenal things that you can't grasp in terms of the challenge of what that is. Um, so I, I have uh, undying respect for, for yeah. people who, who do that. And criticism will stick with you. I remember the first time that I got a bad review it wasn't personal towards me, but it was about the sports coverage in one of the local papers. It was in the Leash Nationalist after a day where I think if anyone had perspective, they would understand the circumstances around the things that were being criticised. But it stuck with me till today. I still remember it. Now, I was able to get past it. And I was very tempted, yes. David, on the next week to go on and point out, say, multiple typos in the paper or like absolutely flame them. Go on a monologue at the start of the show. You know, use your platform uh, to bury them into the ground. Maybe talk about the fact you've got more listeners than they have circulation. All that temptation is there. Yeah. Then you sit back and you go, you know what, I'm actually going to have a quick read of it. And I'll take this as a perspective of the journalist who has written it. Now, a lot of it was unfair. There was a lot of advertising, which we had to fit into the coverage so therefore we had to take some ad breaks there were three county finals I think on the one day and it was impossible to balance everything because pretty tricky yeah three county finals that were overlapping they all have basically the same importance and also this person was writing from the perspective of being a journalist who I think had a breakdown and couldn't as in their car and couldn't get to the game the final they were due to cover so they flicked the radio on so their interest was in one game and they were annoyed about the experience of the one game the point that I was trying to, that I kind of took from it was, now you know how our hands are kind of tied behind our back yeah. because of both commercial considerations and also the difficulty of trying to cover as many things as we do. So I was incredibly tempted to flame them the next week. Yeah. But when you sit down for three to four days and you just go, you know what, it's fair comment. I wouldn't agree with it entirely. If they'd asked me to respond to it, I would have given them a response and organized it. But they decided to put out a sledging piece. Good luck to them. Yeah. And I think that kind of speaks to... That was, they had a problem with one thing. What a lot of people don't understand in radio is that you're looking after about six or seven different things and you've got, especially if you're reporting on sport, Mm. there's so much you need to cover and, you know, you need to make sure Frank down the road is happy and and Pauline in leash is listening to her, has her game sport. So it's kind of people need to realise sometimes. And also there's the possibility that Pauline in leash is tuning in one Sunday a year yeah. because her team are in a county final and is annoyed about the coverage because her interest is in that one thing on that one yeah. day. Sorry, Pauline Unleash, you uh, fictional person who only cares about your club on this day. But th- that's that's what yeah. happens. And there's, there's no way around it. I mean, we tried to change this around and I think bringing in things like online streams to provide uninterrupted uh, commentaries over the last while. But you are as well at the challenge you're trying to do something like that around equipment and the difficulty of trying to keep a million balls going at the one time. And sometimes I think people don't see this as an extra bit of the service and see it as now a minimum standard. And that's its own difficulty as well. It goes to show some of the silver linings of social media in that we are able to diversify full coverage of, mm. of, of inter-county matches, of club games. Um, I think that's been a great addition to sports broadcasting generally uh, from a local level. Uh, but it's just it's it's uh, it is thoroughly complicated and you i think the key thing is to have the passion for it to do it yeah. if you have the passion mm. to apply yourself to it then these challenges you actually end up savoring and 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 you are then capable and robust enough to deal with any any criticism on the basis that you know you're trying your best and anyone in that position will be dealing with the same challenges remember too that pretty much every commentator and and reporter that we have on right now are amateurs who are 
doing a job during the week and who are sitting down with a microphone and generally going to cover their county or their team or their sport because that is their passion. That is the reason they're doing so, not because of the fact that they want to be professionals within the field of broadcasting. And that adds, I think, a certain charm. Uh, One of the things I love doing each year is when the... Uh, all Ireland finals come around, flicking on the local coverage and listening to them go balubas when their team is about to win the final and, and yeah. the bias just goes entirely to one side. And who cares? Like, yeah. that is the whole point. If you cannot be biased on local radio, what is the point? Well, that's the thing. And it's the passionate people talking mm. about a passion that they love. Um, and obviously, you can tell with you guys that sports is a, a huge passion for you as well. So thank you so, so much for joining us on our final look into uh, behind the scenes. And final Midlands and best, Sarah. Final and yeah. best podcast. <laughs> it has buried all the other podcasts before into the ground. Yes, it is. Thank you for the very fine podcast. Hey, don't listen to them. No <laughs> point. Just listen to us again. It'll help the stats. <laughs> thank you very much, guys. And uh, we'll talk to uh, you very soon. Right. Thank you so much for tuning in to these six episodes. I hope you've learned a little bit more about Midlands 103. If you do want to hear more, you can tune in every single day to us. So thank you very much and we'll talk to you soon.